0: There is a story um, that, as a pastor, um, makes me nervous whenever I encounter words like this. When I stand in glory, I will see his face, and there I'll serve my king forever in that holy place. The story is of a pastor who was preaching that very thing. And as soon as he said, when I stand in glory, I will see his face, he had a heart attack and died in the pulpit. To behold the glory of God in that moment makes me nervous. For those of you who would like to know, it happens to be the founder of Equipping Leaders International so there's a shameless plug for you who died I think, what was it, I think in 2003 or something like that but think about that passage, that verse just a moment, when I stand in glory I will see his face and there I'll serve my king forever in that holy place won't that be a great moment? Wouldn't it be a great place? Ah. Here's my question for you. What if the when is now? What if that place is here? What if God, by his amazing grace to you in Jesus Christ, has gathered you in glory in this place, at this moment, to see his face. Because, brothers and sisters, that's what the gathered worship of God's people is a gathering of his people in his presence. To behold His glory, to see His face. That's something of what we will be talking about today. As we um, begin our New Year's series, which I have entitled, Living the Dream. Hopefully you will come to understand that over the course of the next couple weeks. Some people have referred to 2018 as a dumpster fire. You can perhaps imagine why. Earthquakes and tsunamis and fires and wars and countless other natural and man-made disasters. Shoo! Aren't you glad you're at the end of 2018? Fear, it seems, and the related panic and suspicion and anger and violence seems is the order of the day. And in the midst of all of that has come our celebration of Christmas, Phew! couldn't come soon enough. For those of us who have kids in the house, it perhaps came a little bit too soon. But in any case, it comes as a welcome relief, doesn't it? A welcome reprieve. But if our Christmas celebration is merely a relief for a reprieve from real life, or from normal life, then we have missed the point altogether. Because Christmas is not a break from reality, it is a plunge into reality. The celebration of Christmas is the most intense way that we have at this point, at this time, to plunge into the realities of the world in which we live, to confront head-on the disasters of the past year as well as the disasters and the adventures and the successes of the year to come. For our celebration of Christmas is the celebration of a king who came. A king who conquered, a king who reigns, and a king who will return. That is the gospel proclamation. A king, in short, who has inaugurated the long-promised reign of God's justice and peace upon his earth, even as it is in heaven. Every week we pray in this congregation, thy kingdom come. And we pray it with confidence because his kingdom has come. And it continues to come and continues to take captives. It continues to captivate. It continues to convert. It continues to consume. It continues, in short, to make all things new according to God's design. The coming kingdom of Christ, we might say, is the dream Of the triune God now coming true. But to live the dream of the king as citizens of his kingdom upon the earth as it is in heaven is to put ourselves at odds with the elementary spirits of the world whether we encounter them within our own hearts within our own homes, among our family and our friends, or as we go about our relationships and responsibilities in the world around us. To call ourselves Christians is to join Jesus in his Gethsemane prayer in our every relationship, in our every circumstance. Nonetheless, not my will, but your will be done. The fact is that Christmas is the celebration of God's kingdom come upon the earth as it is in heaven. It is not about mere personal peace, safety, security, comfort, health, and wealth if it's about any of those things at all. It is about the invisible reign of God's glorious grace being made visible upon the earth as it is in heaven. By which he desires and designs, by which his desires and designs for life in his world are made the rule rather than the exception. You see, in the birth of Christ, God's kingdom came. It's now, but not quite yet. Which is neat, but so what really, right? The fact is, we'll wake up on Wednesday and go back to work. Some of you will wake up tomorrow and go back to work. The day has come, the day is gone, and now it's back to school, it's back to normal life, it's back to the real world. So what's the difference really? Our passage today comes from Revelation chapter 11, beginning with verse 15 and reading to the end of the chapter. And that will help us get into today's message as well as into this series for the new year. Revelation chapter 11, beginning with verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, Who is and who was. For you have taken your great power. And begun to reign. The nations raged. But your wrath came. And the time for the dead. And the time for the dead to be judged. And for rewarding your servants. The prophets and saints. And those who fear your name. Both small and great. And for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then. God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning and rumblings, peals of thunder, earthquake, and heavy hail. Brothers and sisters, welcome to reality. This is good news indeed us, his people, at the end of 2018 and looking into 2019. So let's go to him in prayer. And so, Father, we come, having been gathered in this place to behold your glory, and so we pray that by the powerful working of your spirit among us as your children, you would grant us strength and courage to behold that glory. And in a special way, as we open this, your word, we pray that you would grant to us the courage and the comfort of that glory, that we may see wonderful things and behold your Son, Jesus Christ, risen and reigning supreme. For I prayed in his name. Amen. I hope that you have been tracking with the story, but if you have not, let me get you up to speed, the story of the early reign covenant reformed Presbyterian church in China. Yes, early reign covenant church is a reformed and Presbyterian church, believe it or not. And perhaps you know the story. As it's broken out most recently, on December 9th, the church was closed and many of its members arrested, including the pastor and his wife, the assistant pastor and his wife, as well as a number of the elders and deacons, and they were taken off to prison. On various charges, suspicion of subversion and treason and other unseemly activities. Some of them we know where they are, some of them we don't know where they are, some of them have been released to home detention. In all cases, they were persecuted, they were beaten, and they were manipulated into trying to deny the faith and to agree to not go to church ever again. They knew it was coming, the congregation did, because it hadn't just started on December 9th, it had started much earlier than that, at least as early as last spring, with the government coming and giving warning after warning after warning, saying you cannot do this, this is illegal, you cannot do this, and yet they continued to gather They continued to worship. They knew it was coming, a congregation of some 750 people. They knew what would happen because another church in another part of China had been closed earlier in the year. That pastor and some of those leaders also arrested. They were prepared for it. How prepared, do you say? Do you ask? Well, it turns out that they were so prepared for it that the pastor had written a letter and he had instructed his church leadership, saying, when this happens, this is when you will release the letter. The letter some of you have read is the letter that is now famous for the language of faithful disobedience. You can read about it in World Magazine, you can read about it just about anywhere on the internet. Not only were they prepared for it, not only had the pastor written such a letter, but are you ready for this? The pastor, knowing the costs, required his congregation to continue meeting. He said, You will be arrested and you will be breaking the law, but you will continue to meet. What kind of man does that? Knowing that requiring his congregation to continue to gather for worship will split families and will result in the arrest and torture of many of his congregation. What? Why would he? What kind of man does that kind? What could he possibly be thinking? Perhaps he needs medical attention. Perhaps he needs a psychiatric evaluation. Or perhaps he knows something that we too easily forget. It's likely, in my opinion, that he knows something of what John is speaking of in this passage look at our passage many of you know that revelation by the way it's not just this is freebie this is just free it's not revelations it's revelation it's one and it's a letter it's a pastoral letter from a pastor who has been arrested and exiled to his congregation In order to comfort them, in order to grant them courage, in order to give them wisdom and understanding for for understanding their circumstances. It's structured something like a movie, a series of scenes flashing back and forth between what is seen and experienced by his congregation, by real human beings in real time and real place upon the earth And then the scene changes to what is happening in the meantime, in the unseen realms. Things happening in the unseen realms that are causing things to happen in the realm of the seen and the experienced. For John's first readers, they were experiencing increasing (laughs) persecution, increasing opposition, increasing marginalization. They were losing livelihoods, they were losing lives, they were losing loved ones. Why? Because they confessed with their mouth and believed in their heart that Jesus is Lord. And it's important for us, especially in 21st century pluralistic North America, to recognize that in the day, they would have been fine had they merely said, Jesus is Lord to me. But that's not what they said. They said, no, Jesus is Lord to me, to you, to everyone, all people, all places, all times. Jesus is Lord. And so things for them felt as though they were falling apart. And John writes a letter to assure them, Oh no, oh no, things are going exactly according to plan. Our passage itself appears in the context of woes. There have been two woes that have preceded this seventh angel blowing his seventh trumpet. And so there's the expectation that perhaps this third woe is about to unfold, which in fact it does later. But... What we immediately see is not the explosion of the woe. What we immediately see is a scene unfolding in the halls of heaven. Paul wants, uh, John wants to say, in effect, look and remember, my little children, what is happening? Not there, but here. And so it opens with the seventh angel blowing his trumpet. There were loud voices in heaven singing, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The blast of the trumpets. Trumpets are blowing throughout Revelation. It is a loud book. With trumpets all over the place. But we should remember that trumpets are not, don't appear for the first time in Revelation. They don't appear only in heaven. They appear throughout biblical history. Trumpets were assigned by the living God himself to announce mighty acts, mighty season, mighty days of his redemption. And of his rule. And so for example they announced the day of atonement. The trumpets would blast throughout the land. And the people would gather together to celebrate the day of atonement. They were appointed to announce the year of jubilee. Which as we were reminded a few weeks ago. To our knowledge was actually never celebrated in the history of Israel. Mighty provisions of God's great redemption were announced and celebrated by the blowing of trumpets. But not only so, the blowing of trumpets were used to assemble God's people and to mobilize God's people. When they heard the trumpets, they were to come. And sometimes they were to come in order to organize themselves to move as they were traveling, for example, through the wilderness or to be mobilized for war. They were assembled by the sounding of the trumpets for worship and for battle, and sometimes for the battle that is done in worship, as in the case of Jericho. People would gather from throughout the camp. The trumpets would sound as we continue through scripture. And we would see the people gathering from among the nations. When they heard the trumpet, people would begin to emerge from among the nations, responding to the sounding of the trumpet. And in fact, in portions of Scripture, we find that not only does the sounding of the trumpet gather people, His people from among the nations, mobilizing them for His work, but even from among the dead, The dead rise at the sound of his trumpets gathering in his presence. For his work. And so, for example, we see at Jericho, the great weapon of God's power to destroy God's enemies and the enemies of God's people was the sounding of the trumpet in worship. How crazy is that? Ask any military advisor in any nation today from any time in the history of the world. Ask them if the praises of God's people are an effective military strategy and they will tell you what are you smoking? Because everybody knows so the conventional thinking goes that worship is about feeling warm and fuzzy inside. But brothers and sisters, it is not. It is about declaring with power that our God reigns. He alone. Forever and ever. And so the trumpets are also used to announce the approach of a king. The announce of the approach of the king coming to conquer, and coming in victory. Because his reign is irresistible. How's that for a good Calvinistic term? Irresistible. The reign of our God's grace. So the seventh angel blows the seventh trumpet, and there are loud voices in heaven all singing out and declaring, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Wow, that's amazing. And look at the time. It's only 1135. We can still make it in time for the game. But no, look what happens The 24 elders who are in God's presence, seated in God's presence, they hear the proclamation and what do they do? They fall on their faces. The 24 elders most agree being the 12 patriarchs of the old covenant and the 12 apostles of the new covenant. All representatives in this world of one plan that now is complete. A plan to make the kingdom of this world the kingdom of our Christ. And so they fall on their faces. And they say, notice this. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. Now, it's easy for us who are familiar with Revelation, who are familiar with the story, to subconsciously substitute the object of their worship to be Christ. But notice what was said. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Right? And so in this case, there seems to be a distinction. There's something going on here. So that when the elders fall face face down, they address their thanks to the Lord God Almighty. Not to his Christ. As in the other hymns. In Revelation, rightly so, in this hymn, it is the hymn to God the Father. Why? Well, they say, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. By your great power, the nations, the nations that were raging now have become silenced. Their kingdom has become your kingdom. The time, the time for your just rule, your judgment has come. A justice that includes, as you see there, rewarding of your servants, the prophets and the saints. Those who fear your name, both small and great. Not just the 24, but even you and me. And for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Now, we know that the way he has done that is by his anointed and appointed one that we just read about in the Heidelberg Catechism. So why are they giving praise to him? Well, because the fact is that his plan just seems ludicrous from the beginning and impossible. And so the nations ridicule it. We ridicule it. It doesn't seem right. The wisdom of God seems like utter foolishness. The the strategies of God seem utterly powerless in our day and age. But lo and behold, here we are, the seventh trumpet blasting. And the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And we find the elders saying, Oh my word, lo and behold, God's foolishness has now dem- been demonstrated as God's power, which is exactly what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter one, and two. It just seems so wildly absurd, and yet here we are. The victory won. You're a smart dude. You really know how to reign. You really know how to rule. I could really be a part of such a kingdom. What is being praised here is the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord. Notice what did not happen there. Notice in that expression, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord, is not that the kingdom of the world was destroyed and exists no longer. But in fact, it has been co-opted. It has been taken over and has been incorporated. It has become the kingdom of our Christ. And so for those of you who have been around through the fall, you remember that Isaiah is saying that all of those enemies that threaten to undo God and God's people... The promise is that the servant will act in such a way that those kings, those powers, those entities will actually come bowing in worship to that conquering king. And that's exactly what we see here. The kingdom of the world has in fact become the kingdom of our Christ. He proves himself in fact And in reality, to be the preeminent one. You see, what is being celebrated here is what the psalmist celebrates in Psalm chapter 2. We see the nations raging. And in Psalm 2, we also are privy to the fact that the Lord sits upon his throne and he chuckles at them. He chuckles at them, the raging nations. Because he sets his anointed and appointed one upon his throne, and they are rendered powerless, sniveling, weak, vanquished, undone. And he proves himself to be the preeminent one. And so the kingdom. Has come. The trumpet blasts. It announces the victory, the arrival, the presence, the power, the authority of the king who has come and the king who has won. And so look. Verse 19. Then, John says, Dear little children, look. Then, God's temple in heaven was opened. And the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. Now, a very quick word here. The temple throughout scripture is a model of all reality. It is a model of the cosmos. It is the model of All reality, seen and unseen. That's why God takes such care when speaking with Moses to give him a specific model. He doesn't do that for my house. He doesn't do that for your house. He doesn't do that for the palace. He does it for his tabernacle and later for his temple. Because it is a model of the cosmos. It is a model of how our God reigns. Now, that would have made sense in the ancient Near East because temples functioned in that way among the nations. And so when John says here to his readers who would be very familiar with the concept of temple, he he says, you see that trumpet that blasted and the sound of of the loud voices saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. You see what I'm seeing is in fact what's happening in the regal halls of the cosmic king. The very temple, the dwelling place of God. He is living. He is active. He is present. He is powerful. What you see happening around you, oh little children, flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder and earthquake and heavy hail and all kinds of Crazy things happening in our world is nothing other than the manifestation of our God sitting securely with power and authority upon his throne. It's not that he's out of control, it's that he's in control to make the kingdom of this world the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. In short, To those frightened and confused in their circumstances, Pastor John is saying, I know it is hard. Boy, I know it is frightening. I know it hurts. But it is not because the world is spinning wildly out of control. It is not because our God has lost control of things or gone on vacation. It is certainly not because our God is no longer alive. And it is not because Christ's throne is teetering or tottering. Rather, it is because our Lord and his Christ are doing precisely the very things they always said they would do. They are putting you and your circumstances and your world right again. What in the world is going on in Washington these days? The Lord and His Christ are putting all things right. What in the world is going on in the Middle East today? The world, the Lord and His Christ are putting all things right. What in the world is going on in my house and in my home? The Lord... And his Christ are putting all things right. You see, living in the confidence and clarity and courage of that admittedly not yet clearly seen reality is our calling upon his earth as instruments in his hands. Living wisely in light of this reality is the living testimony to the reign of Christ. It is Christ's epistle to a watching world. It is our great commission. It is the proclamation that the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of of our Lord and of his Christ, the kingdom of his holiness and his justice and his mercy and his love, his rightful power and authority to reign. There's a Peanuts cartoon Charles Schultz, you know, and Charlie Brown and all of those, in which I think it's Lucy and Linus, Linus has his little blanket, are sitting at the window, perhaps you've seen this, and they're watching, and it is pouring down, pouring down rain, buckets and buckets and buckets of rain, a scene that we here in Northwest Georgia are very familiar with, including the formation of Lake Flintstone and North Lake Flintstone where the new subdivision is going in. I hope those families know about that. (laughs) 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 (sighs) Yeah, oh my. (laughs) Doug and Lois, don't buy in that new subdivision. (laughs) And they're watching out the window and Lucy says, I'm so scared. I'm so scared. What if the whole world floods again? And Linus says, oh, oh, that's never going to happen. How can you be so sure? Well, the Lord said he would not ever destroy his world with a flood again. Oh, Lucy says, I feel so much better. And Linus says, Sound theology has a way of doing that. <laughs> That's what John is saying to his people. He is revealing to them the reality of sound theology. Thy kingdom came, thy king reigns. The King will come again. You see, Christmas matters. In a world tearing itself apart in its rage against God's rule and God's grace, Christmas matters. Pastor Wang Yi of the Early Reign Covenant church prepared a letter. And prepared his congregation. Requiring them to keep meeting. And resulted in arrest and beating of countless members of his congregation. The question is, is he a whack job? Is he some sort of cultic leader? No. He's a pastor. And yes. Pastors sometimes sound strange. Not only is he a pastor, he's a Reformed and Presbyterian pastor. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> a Reformed and Presbyterian pastor faithfully shepherding his people to live out in China the realities of Christmas. You see, his disobedience to China's government was not a matter of arrogance or an ego trip. It was a matter of living obediently by faith in the one whose kingdom has come. He says that his living, that his faithful disobedience is not a matter of. Flaunting the authority of the Chinese government, but rather to testify to another world. To a greater and yet not yet fully visible reality of Christ's kingdom and Christ's reign. To an emperor whose authority transcends the authority of the Chinese government. Brothers and sisters, we know, therefore, that there is no circumstance, there is no conversation, there is no relationship, there is no individual, there is no transition that is not a part of his deepening and expanding reign. There's no financial crisis, there's no frightening military drawdown that is not a part of his reign. There's been a lot of panic about that drawdown. But having just worked through Isaiah, it occurs to me, I wonder if that drawdown has any connection, any parallel to be made with the drawdown of Sennacherib's army. Hmm. Might the same God be still ruling over the ways of man? So, brothers and sisters, we are free from panic. You and I are free from fear. We are free from hoarding food in our garages and stockpiling weapons and ammunition. Because there is more going on here than meets the eye. And so Tim Keller prays, Lord, I worry because I forget your wisdom. I resent because I forget your mercy. I covet because I forget your beauty. I sin because I forget your holiness. I fear because I forget your sovereignty. You always remember. Help me to remember you. Amen. We worry. We lose our tempers. We become depressed. We become bitter. We become angry. We manipulate. We run. We hide. We gossip. We grumble because we forget That the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ has come. And he is having his way among us. To say that the gospel is a spiritual reality is not to say that it is private, personal, and and generally irrelevant. It is to say that it is the unseen foundation and framework within which... The reigning king himself is unfolding his purposes by the powerful working of his spirit among his people, in his world, through lives of obedient worship. Let's go to him in prayer.